it's about really getting recognized and rewarded at the end of the day. I mean, paid, I mean, that could be drawing boundaries, saying no to things. It could be getting more opportunities, better jobs. It comes in so many forms. Money isn't everything. And that's why I always urge women, define success for yourself first, and then let's figure out how you can achieve it in a way that you're not doing it quietly. Hey, everybody. I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. Today's guest is Claire Wasserman. She's the founder and author of Ladies Get Paid, a platform and book geared towards helping women advance professionally and financially. March is International Women's Month, and I'm pleased to bring you authors, writers, thought leaders, and otherwise amazing luminaries who are out there changing the world of work. So if you're interested in topics like equal pay for equal work and advancing the rights of working women and mothers, we'll sit tight and enjoy this conversation with Claire Wasserman. Hey, Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Lori. Well, before we get started today, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you're all about? So I am an author and I'm a founder. I have an organization called Ladies Get Paid. We are a platform and a global community that helps women advance professionally and financially. I'm kind of obsessed with power and helping women get power in all the ways they define it. And I started this because I was very disturbed and angry and frustrated by the wage gap and the leadership gap. And that is why I do what I do. I love that. I love that. You know, I'd love to go a little bit deeper on your why, because many of us get upset about things in the world, you know, power, inequality, the wage gap, but we don't do anything about it or we defer to other people. So what made you stand up and say, I want to fix this? Yeah, well, listen, I didn't do anything for a year after I uncovered all of these terrible statistics around women in the workplace because it's overwhelming and it's systemic, right? And so what could I possibly do? And it wasn't until a friend of mine came to me and she said, Claire, I just really realized that my male counterparts, she was an art director freelancer, and she said, my male counterparts are charging double what I'm charging. And it wasn't for her discrimination. It was a lack of transparency, a lack of knowledge. And so what I did with her is I said, let's host an event. I want to bring together a group of women for them to talk about money. And yes, it was about sharing their rates, but really more about what money represents to them. So, you know, it was a conversation around freedom and power and their value. And a hundred women came and I structured the event as a town hall. I wanted it to be something where women could feel very comfortable sharing their stories. So a little bit less on the kind of expert, what do I do, but more about how I feel. That was a place to be again. And out of that event, I started a Slack group. And that Slack group has different channels based on kind of the sub-themes that were coming up that night. And it went from 100 women to now over 75,000 women from all 50 states, more than 120 countries. And you know how many messages have been exchanged since 2016? Two million. These women like to talk. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Well, a lot of good content for the work that you do, a lot of good you know, information. So tell us a little bit about the book that just came out. The reason I wrote it was because I'd gone across the country a few years ago hosting these town halls for women in 19 cities. I saw thousands of women, and I felt like I got a really good sense of a number of the barriers they were facing 
part of it was internal and part of it was company culture, right? And this is the systemic stuff. So policies, how they could make change. And so what the book does, well, first of all, it's about how women can self-advocate so they can get recognized and rewarded. And I structure it by following the lives of nine real women. Each of these women, they're going through a different professional challenge. Everything from the existential questions of like, who am I and what do I want? Through getting the job and through succeeding in the job and making change in your job. And as I tell those stories, I stop along the way and I give advice. So it's very much part narrative and part toolkit. And I hope that it demonstrates to women kind of the entire chronology of a career, again, along with the macro lens of affecting change from both a company policy level, but also lobbying elected officials, right? What are the laws that need to change? Because it shouldn't just be on us, the underpaid and overexhausted. So let's say that I'm a working woman, a professional woman, mid-careerist, and damn it, Claire, I want to get paid. And I realize that there are systemic problems, but I also recognize that I, to this point, may not have necessarily been my own best advocate. Where do I begin? First, make sure that you are going in a direction that is aligned with who you are and what you want and your values and your strengths, because you're not going to thrive if you're not doing what at least you find fulfilling. That also means being in an environment that helps you thrive. So is this a company culture where it's inclusive and where your manager can even recognize you? So in the book, I do talk about how you can make sure that the company is doing that. So it's not all on you. Talk about your accomplishments consistently. Do not wait until it's your annual review. Otherwise, it's too late. So here's a good example. When you have a win, when you get good feedback from a client, forward it to your boss. Call a meeting, call a meeting, just a quick 15 minute meeting. You want to let them know the good stuff that you're doing. It's not bragging. It will make them feel better because their job, their success hinges on your success. Be explicit about growth. I want to be a leader. Here are my ideas for what could be next for me. Opportunities you see and how you can help the business. The next stage that you want. Develop relationships with the people who are in positions that you want, who are doing things you find interesting in the business. To advocate for yourself means also galvanizing other people to advocate with you and for you. And you listen, I wrote 320 pages on this, but hopefully I just gave some tips that were helpful. Very helpful. You know, a lot of women listen to this podcast and they recognize two things. Number one, they're not of generational wealth. They have to work and they may be working in a system where they believe they can do good work, but overall the company culture is not necessarily aligned. So if you're a woman and you're a leader in an organization and you think, you know, I need to be here, need to be advocating for my team, but some things are broken. Do you have any advice, any wisdom for that leader who wants to make a change, but may not have been successful in the past. Well, first, see if there's anybody who has either tried to make change before or who at least will get excited to join you in making that change. And that's also looking at people who used to work at the company. Before you even join a company, do your due diligence. Reach out to people who used to work there. Even look at sort of how many people get promoted, how long it takes, how long somebody's been at the company. So before you can make change, maybe just make sure you're going into a place where that's even a possibility. Galvanize other folks to rally with you around something specific. Let me give you an example from the book. Uh, She's such an inspiration and it's doable. So she joined a company, kind of burned from her last company she worked at. She'd become a parent, really felt unsupported and didn't want to compromise her identity as a new mom. So she wanted to create an employee resource group, but before she did that, she needed to get support. And a way that she did that was proposing a take your kid to work day. And a lot of people were excited about that. And that was so successful, she used it to gain momentum to then pitch the employee resource group. And in the book, I give a template for how you can do that. But her real goal 
was actually about getting them to have a better paid family leave policy. That was the real goal. And that to me, if I had to boil down one policy that can help close the leadership and the wage gap, it would be paid family leave. It would be compensating mothers appropriately. So she was approaching this, yes, from a macro sense, but starting pretty micro. And I guess I'll tell you the end of the story. She does get better paid family leave passed, but here's the best part about it. When it was her time for a review, she went to her manager and she said, I have helped the company tangibly. I have contributed to the bottom line. And she explained how she did that. I would like a raise. And not only that, I would like a percentage of what I do moving forward to incorporate my work leading this employee resource group, because too often we do this out of the kindness of our heart. We do this because we care. Well, hold on now. You're doing this also for the company. The company benefits from you. And so if you can effectively make that case, then yes, you can get recognized and rewarded. Gosh, there's so much good stuff in there. You know, I think you make a really interesting case for addressing the systemic problems by looking at paid family leave. Can you dive a little bit deeper into that? For those of us who may not be in corporate America, maybe freelancers, what do you mean when you say paid family leave? And also, how do you believe that closes the gap and brings people to greater equity? Listen, I mean, if you're listening and you're in America and you're in a pandemic, there is no federal paid family leave. And what happens is either the woman who is oftentimes the default caretaker, she stays home and takes time off because childcare is expensive. There's also no universal childcare policy here in this country. So she stays home and she doesn't go back to work or she stays home and then tries to go back to work. And of course, there's difficulty in that. Also, when she does go back to work, many of these moms experience what's called the motherhood penalty. So they may see a reduction in their pay. For every child they have, there's research that shows they get 4 to 6% reduction in their salary. And men, when they become fathers, they get a 4 to 6% bump in pay. And this is the major contributor to the wage gap. It's both women either staying home and having a hard time getting back into the workforce, and also when they do, they're compensated less. It's a little bit more complicated than that. I don't want to say I'm oversimplifying it, but there's a lot of nuances that go into this. So my question is always like, why are the women the default caretakers? And second of all, we're just missing out on such amazing work that these women can be doing, and more money for them means more money for the GDP. So there's a lot of reasons why we need to support women when they take time off and getting them back into the workforce. Let's say I'm a working woman and I'm passionate about this issue. You mentioned that part of the community around ladies get paid is really interested in moving legislation forward. They're really interested in lobbying. They want to affect change at the federal level. How would I even go about getting started on something like that? There's other organizations out there doing this. I mean, for anybody who's kind of outraged about an issue like I was, the first thing I did was to see, is there anyone else who's working towards this and can I support them? And there are. I really recommend that people check out this incredible organization run by Katie. Bethel, and it's called paidleave.us. There's templates there for how you can lobby your elected officials. It's writing them, it's calling them, it's donating to PLUS, it's PL plus US, paidleave.us. That's the best way that you can do it. It's also making the case to your company, just like this woman in my book did, about how when you allow everybody, and notice I'm not saying maternity leave, when you allow everybody to take adequate paid leave, time off, when they come back, they are more likely to stay at your company longer. And it is very expensive for companies to lose talent. You're also going to be able to attract great talent by showing that you value parents and you support parents. So it's a way for a company to be competitive. And you know, a company is only as good as their employees that work there. So the case is pretty easy. You just need to make sure that you're always demonstrating how it's a benefit to them and not just to you. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman, author of Betting on You, how to put yourself first and finally take control of your career. 
Dan Pink is a New York Times bestselling author. He says that betting on you is indispensable reading for anyone seeking to improve their professional selves and attain that elusive work-life balance. Jesse Itzler is an entrepreneur and also a best-selling author. He called Betting on You the ultimate insider guide that will inspire anyone to wake up, take that first step towards change, and finally have a thriving career that connects purpose and passion. You're not surviving a pandemic to live life like it's 2019. Want to fix your career? Pick up a copy of Betting on You today anywhere books are sold or head on over to bettingonyoubook.com. Now remember, support your local bookstore or go to bettingonyoubook.com. Well, as we think about ladies getting paid, there are a lot of ways that we could talk about compensation. You know, there's actual currency, there's time off. When you describe ladies getting paid, what do you mean by the word paid? Of course, money is, is, that's the tangible way that you can at least close your wage gap. But it's about really getting recognized and rewarded at the end of the day. I mean, paid, I mean, that could be drawing boundaries, saying no to things. It could be getting more opportunities, better jobs. It comes in so many forms. Money isn't everything. And that's why I always urge women, define success for yourself first, and then let's figure out how you can achieve it in a way that you're not doing it quietly. People are noticing your work and they're supporting you. Claire, as I think about your book and you know the amazing work that it's doing out there, it's getting really great publicity and press, and we're going to go ahead and include a link in our show notes. I wonder what you learned about yourself during the process of writing this book. What's one thing that surprised you or you were maybe a little bit curious about and you pursued a little further? It was very meta writing this book. You know, As I'm writing about imposter syndrome and perfectionism, I'm having a total meltdown. <laughs> I remember going to my therapist and saying, I can't finish this perfectionism chapter. And she said, well, Claire, that's because you're still figuring out your own perfectionism. It's like, thanks, Trish. That didn't help me, though. Uh, Finish this chapter. No, I learned something incredible here that perfectionism and imposter syndrome is always about the other person and your fear of how they're going to receive and perceive you. So what I did during this is I stopped thinking about how many books I might sell or would I get on bestseller list because I don't have control over those things. I really broke it down and I made it about things that I did have agency over. Can I write without judgment today? Can I lose myself in writing? How am I going to kind of get into the flow? Can I even enjoy myself today? Once I did that, it became very freeing. And I also (laughs) made a post-it note and I put it on my computer. I looked at it for two years and it said, write like crap because it just showed me it's like, get the damn thing out. The magic comes in the edit. The magic comes in other people participating in your process. You don't need to be so precious with it. And that was game changing. Of course, that took three months of, again, as I said, meltdown to like sort of figure out how to get myself together, but very profound for me to to finally learn how to overcome that. And are you surprised by the reception of the book? All positive, all good. Any feedback that you're getting that has just maybe taken your breath away? Oh, just beautiful emails, private emails and people posting reviews and everything has been great. So listen, I had a sensitivity editor that was incredibly important to me. I wanted to make sure that everything I was writing was not just through my own lens of being a white cisgender woman. Dr. Akila Kaday, she's a, a DEIB specialist. We worked hard together. And so it was particularly important to me that women of color feel recognized in this book, that they could see, again, they could see themselves. And so the positive feedback around that has been why I'm especially proud of this book. That's really interesting. And I wonder if that's going to become more and more common to get 
a sensitivity editor, someone to just give another voice, another point of view on the manuscript. Had you heard about this before? Was this something that was introduced to you? No. So I do hope people start doing it more. I think the New York Times has written an article recently about it. I knew from the beginning I wanted to make sure that I was not writing this by myself. And then when I asked her to participate in this, I can't remember who I was speaking to, but they said, oh, that's called a sensitivity editor. So it's like, okay, this turns out there's a name for this. And I've just been telling everybody, this is a non-negotiable I paid for her myself, but I think moving forward, all writers should advocate for their publishers to pay for this. Well, and it's a real proactive way to get ahead of any criticism and also to work with the word ladies. I would imagine that word ladies is an intentional choice on your part. Yes, yes, it is. The reason all this started was because I went to an advertising festival about five years ago. And my first night I was there at a party, this guy comes up to me, this older guy, and he says, hi, whose wife are you? I was like, oh my God. And it was this full week of all of these interactions where there was an icky gender power dynamic. It was usually me being objectified and trying to get them to take me seriously. And here's the profound part that happened. I went to the ladies' room and all the women were in there. It was like... All these women were hiding in there and they were doing business. They were like trading lipstick and business cards and it had this incredible energy. And so when I started this thing, which of course didn't have a name, when I did my first event, it wasn't a company. It was just an event and a Slack group. And I was like, what do I call this? I don't want it to be women. That sounds too formal. Definitely not girls. I want it to have a sense of humor because this stuff is really depressing otherwise. And then it had the ethos of the ladies room in the sense of it's a kind of safe space. But everybody is welcome. Everybody and anybody. And I think it stands for a sort of like rallying cry, like ladies get paid. And again, you, you sort of filter that through whatever that means to you. We are here to support you. Well, as you think about the future of ladies get paid, you've written this terrific book. You've been out talking about the stories that are in the book. Where do you go from here? I think I'd like to write a second book. I am uh, just like, God, I'm in the middle of writing my next proposal. I think I want it to be same structure for sure, but maybe ladies get money or ladies get rich or something, you know, where it's different financial challenges, the chronology of a financial life from budgeting and student loans all the way through maybe life insurance, end of life conversations and advice. I think that's a great next direction. I also want to be doing more video content as well because writing is lonely. And I think the best way to reach as many people as possible is doing videos, doing media. So that's what's next for me. It's totally unambiguous. Well, I love the direction. You know, as we wrap up the conversation, I wonder if you have a message to some of the HR professionals who are in the namesake of my podcast title who listen to this show and wonder, all right, I'm a lady and I'm in HR and I think I know my worth, but I don't always stand by that. Can you talk to the complex role, the tension of HR and how could they be helpful in advancing this cause forward? Yeah. And I'm glad you said the word tension because it is tension. They, you know, traditionally HR works for the company's needs, right? And so, you know, when you work for the company's needs, they should definitely be aligned with your employees' needs. But sometimes that's not the case when employees want salary transparency, but the company says no. What does HR do? They could be caught between the company's needs and rules and and what the employees are asking for. I think it's about listening. It's really about asking the people that you work with, the people who work for you, what are your major concerns here, your challenges, your goals? Can't promise anything, but let me try to find a way where there's at least some context that's being given for decisions. Not everybody's paid the same as their counterpart. Compensation's on a scale, right? A pay band. But if you can explain why and how an employee can improve and become a leader, they will feel motivated. I find the lack of transparency and even having these conversations is when they come to ladies get paid and they're frustrated. So that 
that's a great place to start. Well, Claire, remind us all again where we can find the book and more information about you. Yes. So ladiesgetpaid.com slash book. You're going to see everything you want to see about the book. You're also going to see a way to sign up for our Slack group, get invitations to our events. We have at least one event a week. Now I think we're averaging three and they're all virtual. So we used to do only in person. I think it's much better now because we can reach more people. And then me, Instagram, Claire gets paid. My emails are scary. So if you want to message me, please don't email me. You can DM me though. I do respond. So that's the best place to purchase the book, join our Slack group and stay in touch with me. Well, Claire, it was really great to have you as a guest today. Thanks again for your time. And thanks for having me. I love what you're doing and everybody listening. We're here to support you, especially during this time and best of luck. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show today. For more information, including show notes and links, you can head on over to punkrockhr.com. And if you like what you heard today, head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.